Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Hey everybody, welcome back to Ruined. This is Hallie. And this is Allison. And we are continuing on our month of uh, being a teen is terrifying mm-hmm. or horrifying or whatever whatever word you want to use to describe the nightmare that is the the years of 13 to, I'm going to say 22. I was going to say, like, yeah, like one of my stories that I'm going to tell this month, I believe I was 18 or 19, but I was still a teen. That still counts. Yeah, I have one that, like, dips into the early 20s, but I think, like, when your lifestyle is still that of teenagehood, yes. like, I think it extends. It's, like, kind of how the 90s went from 1988 to two, to 9-11. Like, I think that yeah. it just, we're, we're, we're loosely using the concept of teen, though, though, as we've been, do- we're doing all month. Uh, we're each sharing a a horrific teenagehood story mm-hmm. um, of our own lives, and this one is when I was a teenager, and I was uh, I was a lifeguard at a at a pool near me, and I was with a lifeguard with like a couple of my friends, and like the boys who were lifeguards were all very handsome mm-hmm. and like you got it. Like everybody was attracted. It was like I don't know. Everybody's like tan and fit when you're lifeguarding, so it's mm-hmm. like all right. I mean, we all look great. I we're 16, 17 years old. And we were also like very vain um, Mm. because we were 16 or 17 years old. And so like the other girls and I would always um, pull, because like our lifeguarding bathing suits were like basically a sports bra. Mm -hmm. Um, So you would get like from sitting out in the sun for eight hours a day, which that's the horrifying thing. Right. (laughs) story. So I would just sit in this and I'm like, just, I'm so sure I did not wear sunscreen. It's so awful. Um, would wear these, like, sports bra tops, and, like, you would get a really intense tan line that, like, if you were wearing a bikini or, like, a spaghetti strap tank top, which is the shirt of the era. Absolutely. um, It would look terrible. So my friends and I would kind of pull the straps down. and It would put them under, like, you would kind of be able to wear it like a bandeau top, Mm -hmm. like a strapless. And they were so tight and, like, what that it was, like, it was, like, it stayed up, it was fine. But you had to get your arms kind of out of the straps. And you couldn't really do that until you were, like, up in the chair or, like, kind of, like, in a little corner where nobody would see you. Um, And so we would do that all summer. And there was one guy who worked with us uh, named John who I had, like, a big crush on. And I was just like, oh, he's so handsome. He's, like, really, like, funny and, like, he works out. Anyway, so at the end of the summer, I was, like, in a corner just kind of, like, trying to, like, put my straps back up or down or whatever. And he, like, walked over. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Please, like, don't see my, like, naked tits that's, like, that I'm basically in public showing. And he goes, <laughs> oh, don't worry. Every time you've done that, like, we've all seen all of your breasts. Like, oh, we, no. like we all thought we were being so sneaky and, like, oh, able no. to do this, like, seamlessly and without um, flashing a, a neighborhood. And, oh, like, no. all of the guys that worked with us are like, no, we've all, all summer, all we've seen are all of your boobs. And we were all like, oh, oh no. like, it's, like, embarrassing. And then, like, it's just this after the fact, like, 
well, I guess if you had liked what you'd seen, you would have said something at some point. <laughs> so, oh, Allison. Um, a horrifying, also like, who gives a shit now? I'm like, God, if only my tits still looked like that. Um, <laughs> I guess I appreciate but, that this guy eventually told you. I mean, like, obviously they yeah. should have told you right away, but I was like, what What made that day be the one where he's like, I'm just going to tell them? Yeah, I guess it's because I saw him see, and mm-hmm. so he must have been like, I'm just going to come clean on the whole summer. I mean, right. I don't think that they were all, like, grossed out by it. Like, No, 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 us, it's more I don't- just like, if you have, if I saw that, I would tell somebody. If you see something, say something. Yeah, and also just, like, to like, there's just so much shame in being like, oh, this, for the last three months, like, you've yeah. just seen everything, and, like, I had no idea. Like, it's so shameful. Truly devastating. Yes, yes. Um, we are once again telling you to please uh, tune in for our live show. It'll be Sunday, August 29th. And uh, we will have tickets available. They are $10 each. You can find information about it at um, on our social, so at Ruin Podcast yeah. on Instagram and Twitter to find out where to get yes. them. And we are doing M. Night Shyamalan's Old. And yes. I feel like I should say this every time because normally we do it's not important. do movies in theaters because we, if someone's on the fence, we don't want to take that box office bonanza away from M. Night Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. So if you want to find out the twist and old and hear us spoil it, you have to watch the live show. Yes. But yes. if you don't, if you don't tell the live show, we may or may not release it as a podcast like a couple months from now once the movie's yeah. out of theaters. Right. But if and, you want to know yes. it now, if you want to know every detail now. so you can stand around the water cooler, if you could stand yeah. around the Twitter, I guess we're all yeah. still probably going to be remote <laughs> by the time you're listening to this. Um, right. I mean, even the live show is on your computer. So. Exactly. And that's nice too. You don't have to go anywhere. We're going to make cocktails. Put on some sweatpants. Pour yourself a drink. We're going to, you know, take your questions. We'll have a spooky cocktail. You can find more details at momenthouse.com slash ruined and buy tickets over there. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so please join us. Uh, we think you really enjoy it. And we hope you really enjoy this week's movie. Yes. Uh, and yeah, this week we're just going to get right into it. We're doing a classic of the modern age. Yes. Final Destination. Ugh, I'm excited that we're doing this. This is one that I like know from my own life, like, because it came out when we were in high school, so of course it's burned in my memory. Yeah, it came out in, uh... The trailer, not the movie. Right, yeah. That that would defeat the purpose of the premise of our podcast, which I realized we didn't explain. So basically, (laughs) if you're listening to this the first time, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. (laughs) I love horror movies. Yes, and I absolutely hate them, but always want to know what happens in them. And together, our Unholy Union uh, describes a different horror horror movie for you um, every week. Um, so we're going to get into it. Uh, this week we're doing a um, classic of the modern age, 2000's Final oh. Destination. I mean, this is thrilling. This is one. And like, also like to be able to talk about a movie that spawns so many sequels feels exciting. There's like five of them, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I believe, yeah, there's four sequels, but yeah, Final so Destination fine. 5. And what's so exciting about it is you know what's going to happen. I think it's right. very clear, um, and we, for every episode, we like to have Allison watch the trailer. Yes. And Allison, what are your thoughts about the trailer for Final Destination? I mean, I think, like, also, like, I like watching the trailers because they give me, like, a sense of, like, where it, wh- what is this world? And, like, this world is 2000 hot mm-hmm. teens. Like, yes. <laughs> not 2000 hot teens, but... The year you 2000. Wish. Come you on, wish, I wish. Okay, oh, <laughs> Please don't call the police. Don't, please don't call the police. I don't. We don't mean any of this. Um, I love a group of teens, like, navigating, mm-hmm. you know, a, a horror movie because 
you know, this came out when I was, like, that age or, like, I mean, they're in their 20s when this is filmed, I'm sure. So, like, you know, you're just like, oh, this is, like, what I, like, what would I do? Like, there's a lot of that for me in it just because, like, of when it came out and how old I was. Yeah, this is definitely, like, the peak uh, turn of the millennium teens that were 28 years old and each one is a different stereotype about high school. So you have a jock, you know, you yes. have yeah. the the quiet art girl like who's kind of moody. You yes. have like the obnoxious prankster. Again, these people are 30 years old. They are married and have <laughs> two kids and they are playing sophomores essentially. Yes. And I love it. It just it's it's a comforting world to enter into when you know something terrible is about to happen to all of them. Right. Right. Like, I'm, I'm excited to watch them deal with all these problems. And we always like to take a baseline scary before we start ruining the movie. And mm-hmm. Allison, how scary do you find the concept of fate? Oh, um, very. Ooh, okay. <laughs> like, do you believe in fate or, like, destiny? Like, something, you know, something that is, something is going to happen and it's kind of out of your control? And it's unavoidable? I, no, I don't think so. Aside from, like, the kinds of destinies and fate that are, like, dictated by, like, time like I know I am going to die one day yeah. because that is like an unavoidable truth but and I'm always telling you that I, was I like, know I was it's like, like keep you, in mind you were my, you text me randomly you're like don't forget you are gonna die one day and I'm just like I love being <laughs> friends with you <laughs> I want you to wake up to that text I want you to go to sleep to that text yeah, I want it's constantly showing up in my phone and constantly chilling me to my core because I hate mortality um yeah I mean I think like the concept of fate as like a horror trope is very interesting and scary to me just because if something is unavoidable, like, you're just kind of hurtling towards violence and death. And it's like, well, what can you do to escape fate? Like, that's a good... I'm excited for, like, twists, surprises, turns, because, like, they'll be shocking because you're expecting only to, like, see these people die. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, this is definitely not torture porn. The, The movie, I think, very cleverly watching it again gives them the ability to affect fate or destiny in a way that is exciting because you're watching them figure it out in real time. And speaking of twists, we always like to have Allison, uh, would you like to guess the twist or do you think there is a twist in Final Destination? Guess the twist. I have to think that there is one because it feels like a movie that has a twist of some kind or at least like a reveal Mm -hmm. of like what's happened. Because like, Again, like somebody, from what I can tell from the trailer, it's one of the teens or people um, can see in advance when people are going to die. So I would assume it's something with why he can do that Mm -hmm. and like how much control he might have himself. Exciting. But I don't know what that is because, again, I know nothing about this movie. (laughs) Well, let us begin. Listener, thank you for joining us. We are about to ruin Final Destination. Open on... Devin Sawa. Perfect. Do people remember him? Well, I hope so. He has had a a, a, a digital renaissance. He is, yes, he is yeah. very active on Twitter, especially in comedy Twitter. And like he's, thank God, um, a liberal, I think. Yes. So, I mean, that's the thing is we all find out is like, oh, dear God. Now people we loved growing up, they have social media too. Yeah. I wish that they were banned. If you I were know. famous on a sitcom or... Uh, 20 years ago, you should not be able to go on Twitter. No, because don't ru- don't ruin what you were for people. But he seems to have, like, pleasantly surprised everyone in being, like, funny and fun and kind of, like, down for shit and, like, anti-Trump. So. And he plays, he plays our protagonist, Alex. He's great in this. Like, he's a great actor. And he is, you know, the, the, the 
teenager who is suddenly burdened with this insane ability to protect the future, essentially. Right. And you're buying it. Like, I was like, he I, he should have a better career, having watched this, in my I opinion. I mean, maybe it's time for, you know, you know, the way that other actors recently have had kind of a, a rebirth, back. like, and become, like, an, a, a, a great actor later in life with, like, interesting roles. So, yeah, like, anyway. put, him on, put him on Fargo, you know, like, some oh, prestige drama. Oh, so, Hollywood, let's get Devin Sawa back out there. So he uh, he's getting ready to go to Paris, France for 10 days with his French class. So there are about 40 kids and four teachers are flying from JFK to uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport. Jesus. And so, you know, he's, I think we're supposed to think he's 17. So it's his first sure. time away from home. He's really excited. But immediately we get this moment where his parents are having a pack and his mother goes to rip, um, he's using his father's suitcase. So she goes to rip the old luggage tag off. And uh, Alex stops her and says, well, I mean, the luggage made it through the last flight and it didn't crash, so we should leave it on for good luck. Whoa. (laughs) So he's already sort of a a superstitious person. Yes. And the mom says, who gave you that dumb idea and rips the luggage tag off? Well, mom, you sealed everyone's feet, didn't you? (laughs) And they don't ever explicitly say this in the movie. That's kind of what's intimated. (laughs) It's like if you do not respect those superstitions or your own fear— that you will cause all these things to happen. So I guess, I don't, but wouldn't TSA just take the tag off? That's what I understand. Like the tag of like the previous flight numbers that like the bag check people scan. Oh yeah, they take that off because otherwise it's confusing. Right, and also using the logic of this movie, if taking that off means a plane would crash, every plane would crash. Every plane would crash. No, you can't leave it on. Much like, yeah, much like in Krampus, if you don't believe in Christmas, Krampus shows up, guess what? None of us would be alive because very few people still, quote, unquote, believe in Christmas in the way that Krampus demands. (laughs) Right, right. (gasps) So he's really excited. The next day, they're all going to the airport and we meet Alex's best friend, Todd, who is like the prototypical, super obnoxious, like prankster, like, we're going to get laid in Paris. Is he the jock? No, he's like— Is he the guy with the dark hair in in the trailer? Yes, yes. He has dark hair. And he's just sort of like this, like, at a certain point, he's like, we should go take a dump before the plane leaves because what if we take a dump on the plane and then, like, the two hot girls smell it and they associate you with the dump? And it's like, man, everyone needs to go to therapy. Like, that, yeah. if someone said that to me, I'm like, I will call a therapist for you because that's, you've gone too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah, also, like, I don't know. I'm not a man, so I don't understand how men think. But from what I can tell, men think that the smell of shit and farts is funny. So I can't even imagine, like, a high school student... Uh, having that concern. He'd be like, oh, would it be funny if we took a dump on the plane? Like, that's what I, so like, he's already out there. Yeah, and to be fair, you're going to be on that plane, I, I mean, like six or seven hours. Yeah. You're probably going to have to take a dump on the plane. There's, it's right. out of your hands. You're eating. Sorry, that's fate. Yeah, you exactly. Your fate is you will take a dump on the you plane. You can't escape needing to take a crap on a plane. So Alex's best friend is Todd, and Todd is going on the trip as well as Todd's brother, George. Okay. who is nice enough. We don't really get much from him. And as they walk through the airport, this, and this is, a, this is a truly pre-9-11 movie, because a Hare Krishna goes up okay. to Alex and hands him a pamphlet and says, death is not the end. Oh, okay. And it's like, boy, I, I feel like we're slightly too old. Like, I've heard of Hare Krishnas, and I feel like you would see it, like, at the beginning of, like, Die Hard or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the movie Airplane, like, does a hilarious job of talking, of portraying them. <laughs> You know, and and so, yeah, the idea that someone might just be hanging out at the airport, nobody's doing that anymore. I know. I remember that. And it's, like, weird to think back to, like, picking people up and, like, just walking around the airport. (laughs) 
And also smoking in the airport. Oh, Just yeah. walking around smoking, smoking in the airplane. <laughs> and so he, Alex sort of has this moment. And Alex, you can tell, is already nervous. Like he, I don't, it doesn't really say he's never gone on an airplane, but he hasn't been on this kind of flight. He hasn't been away sure. from home. So he's, this just enhances his uh, fear. And uh, one of their teachers, teachers that's going with them, Mrs. Luton, comes over and tells Hari Krishna to beat it and sort of takes Alex with the group. Um, and Alex keeps noticing all these different coincidences, like mm-hmm. their flight time, they're leaving at 9.25, which is also his birthday. And all these, there's like a sort of, you see the departure and arrival mm-hmm. uh, board, like all the numbers are changing. They're sort of lining up in these patterns that he's noticing. So he's just getting more and more panicked, but he's telling himself, you know, because again, Devin Sao is a great actor. So there's a lot of moments where you're like, I understand completely what this guy's going through. He, there's no dialogue. That's great. He's slowly panicking, but he's also like, I'm being ridiculous. Like, I can't be like the kid who freaks out. Like, we're just getting on the plane. Right. Um, and so that as they get, they're going, taking dumps, which they do do before they get on the plane, he hears John Denver's Rocky Mountain High. And John Denver, if you remember from a youth, famously died in an yes. airplane crash. Yes. Uh, which, again, uh, Alex takes his, like, another sign, but he's like, it's fine, it's fine. And as they get on the plane, Todd says to him, or George says to him, you know, like, see, there's a baby on the plane. Like, you know, it'd be a fucked up God to take down this plane if there's a baby there. And it's like, oh, boy. Babies never die. I know, exactly. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh poor buddy, George. You have a lot to learn. <laughs> right, he, has, he thinks some nice things about God. And he I was does. like, if there's a God, he don't give a fuck about no. any of this. No, he's like, knock it down, who cares? There's also a guy who, I, be, I would say, I think he has cerebral palsy, he has an oxygen tank, and George says, yeah, a really fucked up God. And it's like, I, I, I feel bad for these teens that they don't understand that anyone could die at any point. Also, I love that they're like, God would never kill that guy in a plane crash. He would only give him a lifelong debilitating disease. <laughs> like, right. But God, again, God does that all the time. And we're supposed to like make sense of it. It's so funny. Um, so they get on the plane and they're not, Todd and Alex aren't sitting together. Essentially, Todd is sitting next to uh, one of the two hot girls, Blake and Krista, the aforementioned hot girls, he didn't want to smell his dump. Right. And he refuses to move because he's trying to be like, oh, I can sit next to one of them. And the other one would sit next to Alex. But the girls ask Alex, do you mind switching? So he ends up sitting next to Todd. And the two girls uh, Alex take and his Todd seat. Todd are sitting next to each other. Yeah. Okay. So when Alex goes in and switches to the new seat, he goes to take his um, uh, tray table down he, and the bolt just falls off. Ooh. And so his tray table falls down. And so obviously he's panicking, like, oh my God, the airplane is like a piece of shit or whatever. Yeah. But again, he's not saying anything. He's he's sort of, you know, sweating and breathing heavily, but he's like, I'm, I'm being ridiculous. I'm being irrational. Right. And everyone's on, and Mr. Marneau, who's the head French teacher, announces in French to the entire airplane, like, we're leaving, we're going to France. <laughs> and everyone claps, even the people who aren't in their class. Like, oh, they're just God. so excited. And everyone has this moment of like, oh, cool, we're like going and doing this like adult thing. Also, well, like, give me a secondary movie about, like, the nightmare that those teachers are, are living, taking, e- like, each essentially being responsible for, like, 10 kids on an international trip. And 10 kids that are old enough to, like, escape in the middle of the night, go drinking. Oh, like, yeah. It's not like they're 13. I mean, that would be its own set of nightmares. But it's like, these kids are not going to listen to these teachers. No, they as soon think as they they're down. Yeah. yeah. So the, the plane takes off and everything seems like it's fine until you hear a sound that sounds like what I would describe as the plane breaking apart in <laughs> midair. And it is just this, a terrifying, like the lights go out, they flick by on, everybody's screaming, everyone's luggage flies out, the oxygen masks come down. It's, it's like yeah. a, and someone who's kind of afraid of air travel, like not terribly, this is my nightmare. Same. Also, the older I get, the more afraid of air travel I'm becoming. Yeah. I mean, now for completely different reasons, but... 
I mean, yeah, that's and that's the other thing. But oh yeah, they the movie, yeah. So uh, the plane is still taking off. The a giant hole rips into the side of the plane. Oh God! And at least two rows of seats are pulled out into nothing, the air. and yeah. people we presume just die. Oh my God! And then suddenly a huge explosion rips through the airplane, incinerating everyone, and we see Alex's face melt off. Oh, okay. Suddenly he wakes up. He has fallen asleep in his initial seat. Yes. And he wakes up. And at first, you know, he has this moment like, oh, that must have been just a dream. I'm panicking. Blake and Krista come over and say, would you mind switching? Todd asked, is not willing to switch with us. He told us. Basically, they're telling him the exact same story that he just saw in his premonition. Okay. Not great. And so Alex then runs over to the seat next to Todd. And he goes and he pulls the bolt out. And it falls out. So now there are two things from his vision. Yes. And at this point, he's already panicking. He's like, fuck this, the plane's going down. Yeah, no thanks on the rule of threes for this one. (laughs) Exactly. Unnecessary. He starts screaming. Alex, catch your thing. Catch your thing. Fucking plane's gonna explode. Shut up, Brownie. You're so not funny. This is your idea of a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. Alex, take it. And of course, everyone is extremely terrified. Right. And they uh he ends up getting into a fight with the jock, Carter. Naturally. Um, and who is there with his, who's always sucking face with his hot blonde girlfriend, Terry. <laughs> Terry. And I'll, I'll tell you, Terry is a woman's name. Yeah. It's never happening again. Yeah. And that's not an insult to you, Terry's out there. I'm saying enjoy it. You're the last Terry's, the last yeah. female Terry's. Yeah, I think so. Um, and so they end up getting in a fight, and because he and Carter's just sort of like you were freaking everyone out, you were ruining everyone's trip. You know, that immediate jock anger that, like, in in the end of the 2000s, or the beginning of the 2000s, every teen had, the yes. movie had that. Yes. Um, he, he, they end up getting into a physical fight, and they get kicked off the plane. And Perfect. as they're getting kicked out— So it hasn't uh, taken off yet. It has not taken off. So he had this premonition, and he's okay. trying to warn everybody, I just had this premonition, and everyone's like, okay, he's freaking out. Take right. him off the plane. And uh, he, Carter the jock, Terry— uh, uh, Carter's girlfriend, Mrs. Luton, Mr. Murnau, and Billy, who is played by Sean William Scott. I'm a huge another, fan. Yeah, I'm exactly. a huge fan. Another absolute star who does not get a ton of lines in this movie, but whatever he does, it, it, we appreciate it. He's great. I just watched Role Models recently. He's he's at, he's outstanding. <laughs> he gets kicked off just because he was late getting on the flight and he got caught behind them during the fight. So he was not fighting, but he Perfect. just gets pushed out sort of. And then Todd, he's like, oh, should I go? And Todd's brother, George, says, go check on him. So Todd leaves the airplane to go check on Alex. You know, because he's a good Todd friend. Todd is the guy with the dark hair. Yes. In the trailer. So his brother is staying on the plane. His brother is staying on the plane. Is Terry Alley Larder? Is that who no. that is? So the last person okay. to get off the plane, her name is Clear Waters. Nope. And I kept thinking they were saying Claire, but saying it strangely. No, it is Clear C-L-E-A-R. I don't know why. Is her last name Waters? Oh, like sorry. John clear, Waters? Clear, clear Rivers. Oh, Clear, clear Rivers. Rivers. Is Rivers Even her last worse. name? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that she was, it was Clear Waters. You turned out that John Waters is like her uncle. That would right. be great. And she was born in Florida. <laughs> so uh, she sees all this and she also, she leaves because she sees how Alex is freaked out. And and we're, okay. as we find out in the movie, she also feels what he feels. Like, she's also having, like, premonitions of what's about to happen. Okay. So they all get kicked out, and the pilot says, you're not coming back on this plane. Like, you could reschedule for a different flight. I cannot have them on here. Like, I'm not dealing with this. Right. 
And the teachers sort of have an argument, and Mrs. Lewin says to Mr. Minot, just go on the plane. You, you know, you can't have two teachers out of four not on this plane. Just go, and we'll get the next flight, which is like three hours later. Okay. Now I think you'd be kicked out. Like, the airline would not let you back on. Yeah, but they're like, good luck ever being on Spirit again. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. But they so, would never kick someone off that airline. <laughs> right, it probably was Spirit. You can fight in the cockpit in Spirit. Yeah, they're like, you want to fly this thing? Go for it. <laughs> You Yeah, if you want to fight and fly this thing, uh, <laughs> you have to pay extra. So they get kicked out. So everyone is mad at Alex. Like, why did you do that? Like, we got kicked out because you had some dumb dream. Right. You know, and Todd's being very nice to him. Like, so, like, what happened? You know, whatever. And Alex's like, I saw the plane crash. And he and Carter are still physically fighting. Mm-hmm. And, and the um, TSA police or whomever pull them apart. And as they're sitting there, in the di- far distance, we are watching the plane take off behind them silently. Right. We see it explode in midair. And then a second later, all of the windows in the airport shatter with the, oh you know, blast right. reverberation. So he was right. As a result, they are now being held, which is, I think, realistic. They're yes. being held at the airport until authorities get there. Yeah, Because they're going to be interviewed. And all of them are really distraught. And Alex is like, I can't explain this. Like, I don't have, like, oh, I knew anything about them. Um, we meet two uh, uh, FBI agent, uh, agents. They show up and they're like, okay, so it seems like you knew the plane was going to blow up. And they're trying to interview Alex. And he's like, I did, but I don't know how I did. And I didn't like know it, know it. I just had these visions, which the FBI does not believe in visions. As they would not. Yeah, of course they don't. Yeah. Uh, And everyone else has no information. Everyone's like really distraught. Like Todd's brother, George, died on the plane. Right. Uh, The the rest of their their class is dead. Like, Dozens of students are dead. Three of their teachers are dead. And nobody has any information except for Alex. But Alex doesn't really have information. He doesn't know how he picked up on this. So he can't really, you know. So everyone's parents come to pick him up. They're extremely relieved that their kids were not the ones on the plane, you know. Yeah, I know. It's like, like, I don't care if, like, you have to go to jail for a crime you didn't commit. As long as you weren't on a plane that exploded above JFK, like, that will make it through. As long as um, you didn't disintegrate into the in the sky, right. I'm okay with this. Um, is it impl- like is this like the first time Alex has had the, like Arita believe yes. like this? This has never happened to him before. This has never happened okay. to him before, and so everyone goes home. Clear, however, does her family does not pick her up? So another family has to drop her off at her house, which is totally dark. So you know, I'm not we surprised know, that her parents like aren't around, <laughs> right? Once you name your kid Clear Rivers, you have to then leave in order for her to become the person she was meant to be, right? And honestly, this might be my favorite first like set piece in all of horror. Like I, the plane, they I find it, plane stuff is so terrifying to me. It's, yeah, like, it falls into the realm of like we talk about this sometimes, but like things that can and do happen in life are the yes. scariest. Like. A demon popping out of the plane would be, like, Mm -hmm. jarring and scary, but, like, you could go to sleep at night or ever get on a plane again. Like, seeing this, like, it would be very hard to, like, take a flight the next week. Um, So a a short time later, I guess we're supposed to think a couple weeks later, the school's having a memorial service for all the students and teachers who died, and they're unveiling truly the ugliest fucking memorial I've ever seen. It's like a (laughs) 12-foot iron eagle with, like, a podium... It's awful. And so while they're there, everyone is sort of uncomfortable around around Alex. So Alex tries to go talk to Mrs. Luton, and she says, do not talk to me. You scare me. Which, okay, fair, but you're being rude. You're still a child. Right. Um, And Billy comes up to him and says, am I going to die young? 
And also, if I asked out Cynthia Pastor, will she say yes? So she's trying to use Alex as sort of like a, ma- a magic eight ball. Yes, for his own stuff. Uh, own stuff. Yeah, Carter is like, don't don't you think this makes, like, don't assume that I, I owe you anything just because you saved my life. And Alex is like, I don't think that. Like, what are you talking about? Right. I I'll, don't understand how this happened. Right, right. And then, but Claire is the only character who says to Alex, I'm alive because of you. Like, you saved my life, and I don't understand why, but I appreciate it. So we we, we appreciate, she has some perspective on it other than everybody else. And uh, during the memorial, Todd reads a quote by Proust, which I'm going to read. Oh, good. It says, We say that the hour of death cannot be forecast, but when we say this, we imagine that hour as placed in an obscure and distant future. It never occurs to us that it has any connection with the day already begun or that death could arrive this same afternoon, this afternoon which is so certain and which has every hour filled in advance. Art! Why would you read that at a funeral? I guess it's like thematic. I, I agree. Like, I, I mean, think like, you'd I understand read something for more. The mo- I understand yeah. for the movie why this was the quote that they read at this memorial. But like, imagine going to a memorial service and having somebody be like, you never think you're going to die. You could have a lot of stuff going on in the morning and you could die that afternoon. Like, it's so strange. Well, I think we're to think that like Todd read that and he's like, this is how I feel. So I think he's like, as yes. a teenager who just went through this, like, this is the one thing from English class or whatever. Totally. British Literature 101 that I'm connecting with. But I agree, it's a little on the nose. That fucking night, Allison, no. Todd goes home and he's getting ready for bed. He He's shaving his non-existent little beard. Right. And we suddenly see water leaking out from underneath the toilet. And we see, like, there's a thin layer of water on the tile of his bathroom. Oh, God. That's so and this water does not act like normal water. No, but why it, would it? Exactly. It is... The water of fate, the devil's water, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so as he's getting ready for bed, he is, uh, they have something that I've never seen in real life, but I understand it exists, which is there's a retractable clothesline that you yes. could put across your shower to hang up to like hang your, your laundry. Yes. Yeah. Again, I know that exists, but I've never seen one. And honestly, this, while this scene doesn't end well with this particular item, watching that, I'm like, oh, that would be handy. I know. I am thinking about it right now. Like, I have a silk pillowcase that I'm always like, oh, what do I put this on to dry it? And then, you know, that would be great. So Todd goes and his mom is hung up like her pantyhose or whatever. He goes to take her pantyhose down and he slips on the water. He falls forward. The clothesline retracts, wraps around his neck and begins to strangle him. Oh, my God. His father is downstairs. His father, because he's, like, grief-stricken, has drunk himself to sleep in front right. of the TV, which is super loud. Todd has also managed to spill the conditioner in the tub. So his, you see his feet slipping on the conditioner because oh he, so he can't, like, push himself up like you would be able to. It's like it's like the game Mousetrap. Like, so many things had to happen, like, in a row. Exactly. It is a Every death is a Rube Goldberg of, like, how yes. could this one thing end so badly yes. that I die? Um, meanwhile, Alex is at home and he's got all these books. He's been researching like, you know, airplane crashes, explosions, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what happened because they don't, they still don't really understand what happened with the plane. Right. It's not like they were like, oh, we found the black box and like there was an engine failure or something. Yeah. And so he, while, while he's doing his research, a owl arrives at his window and scares him. Excuse (laughs) me? And the outside, an owl just lands on the outside of his window and he throws a penthouse that he was looking at as well. And it flies into an oscillating fan. And so it shreds the um, the pages. 
And then the <laughs> fan blows a piece of paper onto Alex's leg, and it says the letters T-O-D, Todd. Okay. This is the mechanism by which Alex understands that Todd is in imminent danger, and so he tries to sprint over to Todd's house. Wow. Unfortunately. That's like a lot, again, a lot yes. of little things kind of like, you know, it starts with an owl. It ends with finding your friend maybe dead. I don't know. Like, this is not good. I don't like this. <laughs> so Alex runs up to Todd's house. Todd's parents are, are outside. Again, they just lost their other child, George. You know, so they're fucked right. up. Still, Todd's father says to him, it says to Alex, you caused Todd so much guilt over George staying on the plane. He took his own life. And I was like, how is that in any way? No. Like, okay, sure. Having survivor's guilt, that is That's a real, real thing. How would it be Alex's fault that he did not, he didn't know that this was real. It's the first time it ever happened. Right. And like, they just got in a fight. It's not like, it's not like Alex like dragged them all off the plane. Yes. Like that it was because like they, like fighting about it caused a commotion. And they yeah. were like, you all have to get off this flight. So it's, so it's not almost like, like yeah. his fault. It's almost like Todd's dad is mad at Alex for not being psychic enough, which I don't think is fair. Yeah, that does seem like an unreal, like a really unfair uh, standard to hold somebody to when they're very new to premonitions. So, um, Allison, I have to ask you, at this point, what would you do if you were Alex in this situation? What would you do? I mean, there's not, it feels like there's not a lot you can do because, like, I don't even know who you call. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, do you start consulting, like, psychics and mediums? Like, we think that they're all bullshit. So it's not like, it's not like there's like, oh, well, I'm not going to call an amateur. Like, you're not going to call Miss Cleo and be like, I keep seeing my friend's deaths. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if that, and what would they even do? Like, exactly be like, oh, well, then, yeah, they're probably going to die. Like, yeah, it's like, right. oh, it's you're like, having it's these like, premonitions and they're real. I guess I would, like, grab all of my friends and be like, let's go to somewhere, like, very safe and, like, yeah. everybody be keeping an eye on each other. Like, my friends and family. I would be like, we're going to one house. There's no kitchen. There's no knives. There's, like, it's just a padded cell. That's the problem with Allison is that it, anything could kill you. Yeah. Anything. Um, so the next day... Alex takes her advice and he goes to visit Clear because she was the only one who sort of was Naturally. sympathetic about it. And right. she says, I didn't have a vision, but on the plane, I felt what you were feeling. I also felt like the plane was going to crash. Okay. So, but they're like, well, well, how do we, and Alex is the first one to suggest, what if Todd is just the first one? Maybe we were all supposed to die in the plane. And if okay. so, what do we do? And they decide, which is not my first thought, but again, they, they don't have any information. They decide we are going to break into the funeral home and take a look at Todd's body and see if there's anything on his body or related to his body that will give us any information. There is, but that leap to assume that doesn't that is, make any sense. No, that is also not my, that's not what I would want to do. Like, and definitely not like I'm going to break in. Yes. And do, with you, like, I would be like, let's go to the police and see if we could get like, the bot, like, access, like, see if they can examine the body, see if we can right. also, like, but, like, breaking it, this, I'm not, let's not add more dangerous elements, like, breaking and entering, you know? So they immediately break into the funeral home that night and to look at Todd's body, and luckily the mortician is played by the one and only Tony Todd. I'm, or, of like, Candyman fame. I'm gonna call him a friend of the pod only because you bought me that cameo that is one of the, probably the best things uh, either of us has ever been involved with. 
And he's everything you want him to be. Like he, this is just a little cameo. He only has this one scene and he is, he gives everything. He's giving you 110% of, of what this character could be. He is, I mean, an icon, a legend, a king. I'm thrilled that he's part of this. Tony Todd also looks great. I just want to say he looks I mean, great in this yes, movie. He does. So, the, you know, but instead of kicking, kicking them out, Tony Todd talks to Alex and Clear, and Alex sort of explains the situation they find themselves in. And Tony Todd says, Death has a design. Every, there's a design to everyone's death. And it sounds like what happened is that you subverted that design inadvertently. And so, but death is still coming for you. And they're like, well, how are we going to get around this? And he says, You have to figure out how and when it's coming back at you. But remember, the risk of cheating the plan could incite a fury that could terrorize even the Grimmauber. And you don't even want to fuck with that Mac Daddy. Which is a lot to put on two teenagers. That's a lot for two teens. That's a lot for two adults. I mean, the only thing that makes it okay is kind of hearing it from the deep, velvety voice of Tony Todd. Luxurious. He could tell me I'm about to die and I'd be like, this is nice. I feel like that's the next cameo I'm going to get you. Oh my God, please don't. (laughs) And while they're there, they find on um, Todd's body uh, laceration marks on his finger, which Tony Todd tells them is from pulling at the wire. Wait, Tony Todd is... What? Who in this the mor- movie? He's the mortician. The mortician. Okay. Yeah. So he's the one preparing the body. We see so he Todd's knows body. these things. Yes. I'm assuming, yeah, he sees a lot of people who died in this particularly tragic, <laughs> awful way. Yeah, he's like, I know exactly what to look for here. So he tells him there's lacerations because Todd was trying to pull the wire off. And Alex said, oh, so he didn't really want to die. I was like, I think even if you do this intentionally, you'd still be pulling it because your body would be like, you you shouldn't have done yeah, this. Yeah, your, you know? your, your reflex is to save yourself. But let's say we agree with that. The sure. point of it is, this was not, he did not intend to kill himself. Yes. The universe conspired to kill him, which is even more insurmountable. So uh, luckily, Clear is on board with Alex having visions and premonitions. So they meet up the next day and they're getting coffee at like an outdoor cafe or like outside of Starbucks. And they're sort of starting to brainstorm what they're going to do. And Alex says, I think we have to be open to signs from the universe. I feel like if we try to be more open, then, you know, I saw that little paper that says Todd, but I didn't understand what it meant. If we're open, we might be receiving hints that we could then use to save our friends and classmates. I guess. But also, like, how do you know? That's It's, like, such a good theory, but it's, like, how do you know what you're looking for and, like, what a sign is? Because, like, then I would just start assuming that literally everything that I come in contact with and everything I see is some yes. kind of sign. And that's Clear's point. Where it's, like, okay, so, like, I got a cup of coffee. It says CE. Oh, no, I'm going to choke. Like, it, you could start to make patterns Ugh. out of anything. I don't love that I'm making the same argument as somebody named Clear. But No, it means you you and Clear are just, like, apparently you're exactly the same. Yeah, this character's basically same, based on you. The same wavelength. I mean, I would never have those bangs. I, yeah. I was going to say you could pull them off, but I don't want to see. I don't want to. It's a tough, it's a it's a tough uh, thickness. They need to be thicker or thinner, honestly. Especially during the quarantine. I feel like that would be hard to maintain. Yeah, bangs are a tough, a tough quarantine look. I'm picturing them and I don't, yeah. No. Um, so they're, while they're there, 
sort of the confluence of the universe brings together everybody else that was on the plane. So Carter and Terry arrive, Billy is biking by, and Mrs. Luton had just got coffee, so she is walking out. So they're all together, and Alex starts, he's trying to tell them we're all in danger. I think that there's a design. Todd dies first, and then the rest of it will go to us. And they, he, of course, Carter's like, you're an idiot. You're making all this shit up. You're scaring everybody. And they're immediately fighting again. And Terry says, everyone needs to shut the fuck up. I, like, it was horrible, but I want to live my life. Like, I don't want to be stuck in this. Yeah. And she says to Carter, like, if you're going to just fight Alex and be stuck in this moment, then you could just drop dead. Terry then steps off the curb in front of a bus, which hits her, and she's immediately killed. No. And everyone is sprayed with her blood. Of course. I mean, there has to be blood spray in one of these deaths. Exactly. And so so because of this, the FBI has sort of decided that Alex must be at fault. You know, and they at a certain point meet with him and they're like, we know you didn't do anything to the plane because like that would be, there's no way you could have pulled that off. But you were there around the time of Todd's death and you were staying there with Terry. I would argue, wouldn't people have seen him push Terry if that's what you're alleging happened? Right, from some direction that would have been... Somebody would have noticed that. Right. So I feel like that doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. No. However, right before Terry dies, Alex sees the reflection of the bus in the window of the cafe. Oh, yes. That's in the trailer. But when he turns, the bus hasn't gone by yet. So the bus is coming, but he technically saw the reflection just before. Right. But again, he didn't understand. And not enough time to, like, do anything about it. Yeah, and at least, like, the little slip of paper that said Todd, it's like, that's his name. Like, you saw a bus, and then you turned, and the bus wasn't quite there. It's like, that's not fair to you. How could he have known that? And how could you know, like, who that was was coming for, necessarily? Because they all could stand, they were all standing there, so there's nothing you could really, It could have been him, for all he knows. Exactly. So now his, his thing that he's really committed to is finding out the order in which they would have died on the plane. Because he's like, maybe if I figure out the order, I could find out who's next. Okay. Um, and in the meanwhile, we hear a report so the of the order, news. the order that fate wants them to have, did, like. Yes. Seems and he's to trying out. to use this because uh, on the on the news, we see a report and there's sort of a graphic. And again, they're from like South, Southeast New York. So it's like, this is the only thing on the news, which is realistic. Yeah, no, that, at the time. Remember yeah. when there was less news? Oh my God. <laughs> right now, it would just be, you, would, you wouldn't even hear about Who this. Who would know Jesus that a plane Christ. went down? Uh, there's been a coup at the Capitol. <laughs> right. They, uh, so, but in the graphic, you see sort of like, oh, the the suggestion is there was some sort of um, leak of flammable liquids from the silicone insulation. And there's a graphic of how the fire spread through the plane. So it would have killed Todd first. Then it would have killed Terry. So he's like, oh, so it's the path of the fire through the plane. Okay. And as a result, the, unfortunately, next person is Mrs. Luton. And, and so he tries to like go sort of like, talk to her. Right. But Mrs. Luton, we've already established at the memorial, is like, I find you, this is fucked up. I'm not talking to you. Yeah, and I also like, while it's unfair, I kind of get it. I don't know that I would yes. be like spending a ton of time around like the kid who predicted a plane crash that saved my exactly. life. Or maybe I would spend more time around him. I don't know, it's hard to say. I would say as an adult woman, not, we should not spend any time around teenagers. No, that's true, that's true. Unattended. That's true. But yes. especially if they predicted the death of dozens of my uh, students and coworkers. Yeah. So she sees Alex like in her yard and calls the FBI agents and is like, 
he's here. Like, I, I don't know what he's doing. So they pick up Alex. And while they're grilling him, sort of like, why were you over her house? You know, what were you doing? And he's like, I guess I was trying to prevent her death. Like, he can't explain himself. He sounds yeah. like he's causing their deaths. You yeah, know? you sound crazy explaining yeah. his role in this movie. Meanwhile, Mrs. Luton has decided to move away from town. It's all too painful. She feels like survivor's remorse. And she feels like, oh, I sent the other teacher, Mr. Murnau, back on the plane. I should yes. have died. Yes. And, and so you understand, she's like, I have to move. I'm going to make a fresh start. I'm going to move to a new town. We're going to do school. I would start my life over. She, while well, she's going to make tea, and then at the last second, screams and throws a tea across the room because it has the school insignia on it. And she sort of has this moment of, like, pure panic. And she's like, yes. I'm not going to make tea. I'm going to put vodka in this. Because the mug <laughs> is so hot. Such a she pivot. Pours, I know. Well, we've all been there. Yeah, no, and that's true. When she pours the vodka and ice into the mug, the mug is hot, so the mug cracks. But she doesn't notice this. Right. As she's walking around her house packing, she is trailing vodka all over the place. And at a certain point, it's holding her mug, and the vodka drips into the monitor of her gigantic desktop uh, computer. Okay. It then catches on fire because vodka is a flammable liquid. Okay. I mean— I is think that so, how, right? No, vodka, it, like, alcohol is flammable. But, like, is it flammable? If, like, a drop of vodka is near, like, an, elect- an electric source, like, is that the Right, how science? much vodka would you have to pour into a computer for it for to it catch to on light fire? on fire. Anyway, if you're a scientist out there, uh, don't experiment, but tell us what you think. Right, because the, very little. It's not like she dumped, like, a liter right. of vodka in right. there. Right, yeah, she's not dousing a computer in vodka. She's... Just, like, a, a couple drips? Like, I don't know. I feel like I've, like, read a lot of things or, like, sometimes I get super afraid of fire and people are like, it takes a lot for something to catch on fire. I don't know when, I don't, al- when alcohol is involved. I don't know what that means. But it's not right. like a computer is a lit flame. Well, in this movie, it basically is. <laughs> okay. So, without her, without realizing it, she has sort of set up a Rube Goldberg trap for herself. There is a trail of a flammable alcohol to this electronic uh, she's also thrown a towel over her, like, um, knife block that's sort of dangling precariously. Okay. Um, she also tried to use one of her burners, and the gas is leaking. So, okay. in so a matter of seconds. Set up for fire. In a matter of seconds, her computer shorts out. The monitor explodes. A shard of glass shoots into Mrs. Luton's what? neck. <laughs> and then she is spurting blood. She pulls it out. If you get stabbed or something goes into your body, do not Leave pull it, it out. We all Leave know this. Leave, Leave it, it in. in. So she's staggering to get the towel, and by the time the the trail of vodka she left is now, so her living room's on fire, and then it leads back to the kitchen on the trail of drops. Her the entire kitchen is in a conflagration, and this about this time Alex is then released from his FBI interview and is walking home. And as he's walking home, he sees someone burning something at a bonfire. And the embers sort of gather around him, and he's like, oh, God damn it, her house is going to burn down. So he's able to interpret it. By the but time not, he runs over. Okay, but not before. Not before. Okay. During, essentially. During. So it's not even like there's anything he could have done. I guess, no. yeah. All right. Wait, the universe is setting him up to make it look like he is murdering them, not that he can prevent it. Yeah, no, it's just like he simultaneously knows how people are dying. Yes. Which almost seems like evidence that he's not behind it because, like, her house, like, if he's not there, how was he responsible? Unfortunately, he then runs over there. And he bursts in, and just before he bursts in, Miss Luton goes and tries to pull that towel off the knife block. 
all the knives fall out, and one of them stabs into her chest. And he runs in. He, of course, grabs the knife. So now his fingerprints are all over it. His his shoe prints are in her blood, and then her oven catches on fire. He dashes outside just as Billy's biking by, because Billy doesn't have anything really to do in this movie. And he's running at Billy, and then the house explodes behind him. It's not a good look. And also now Billy's like, he blew up Mrs. Luton's house. Right. If I were Billy, I'd be like, you did that. There's there's so little evidence that you didn't. So Alex, understandably, assumes the FBI is going to blame him for this. And of course they do. They're Mm -hmm. like, we don't know why he's doing this, but he is now picking off everybody who was on the plane. Um, Clear gets together with Carter and Billy and is like, we have to find Alex. And the reason we have to find him is because he knows who's going to die next and we have to work together. Okay. So even though Carter's like, man, I hate that guy, he agrees to drive them. No, it makes sense. And Alex is at the, the only other place that we have in this movie, he's at the crash site. And he's like really going through it and he's he's really fucked up about this whole thing. Again, it's not his fault. There's something that he could be doing. But how could you not feel a little? Exactly. I mean, the survivor's guilt that he would feel, I think it's like very, very intense. And so they sort of, he and Clear, you know, they find him and they sort of have this like heart-to-heart moment. And she's sort of like, I can't believe in fate, you know. And she tells him about how her dad died when she was 10 and then her mom got a new stepdad and the stepdad basically didn't want kids so her mom basically abandoned her. And so now she lives alone. And she's like, I can't believe that that was like the universe's plan. So I reject this. There has to be something we have to do. Okay. They're driving. Good for her for like being that, you know. Oh, yeah. Not mature, but that like, that clear headed about it. Mm. Oh my God. Is that why they named her that? I hope not. They're all driving back to their hometown and Carter has this moment of like, wait a minute, so we are all going to die. Like, all every, yes. we've not been able to stop any of these deaths. Right. You know, like you might be getting like intimations and hints and omens. It doesn't matter. Right. So Carter flips out and he's driving the car really fast and he's like, if we're going to die, then I'm just going to kill everyone in the, in the car. If we're going to die anyways, at least I'll be control of my own, in control of my own death. Ugh. I mean, I get like I do understand that logic, but right, it's also pretty brutal. And so, <laughs> as they're driving, um, Alex has a vision of uh, somebody's seatbelt being ripped in half, and then he sees a image of a train. So we know, oh no! So oh, they're eventually no. they're screaming at Carter, and they're like, "Stop the car!" He stops the car on train tracks, and of course, the train is coming. Wait, why can't they just keep going? The car is stalled. Of course, it is. And the car is stalled, but the three of them, Billy, Clear, and Alex, run out of the car. And Carter's like, I'm just going to stay here. And they're trying to argue with him, like, get out of the car! Come it's on! Coming! It's coming! And then finally, Carter's like, you're right, I'm being stupid. So when he goes to get out of the car, the door locks itself. Oh. His uh, seatbelt jams, and the car won't start. Which seems like that's not even, then there's nothing you could do. Right, that's not even, like, a malfunction, like the car stalling, like cars stall, like that's, yeah. but like doors don't just like decide to lock and like, exactly. see, like all of those things definitely don't happen at the same time ever. So Alex is able to run in and essentially cut his, uh, or rip his seatbelt. He must have cut it because I don't think you could rip a seatbelt with your bare hands. No. Cut his seatbelt and drag him out just in time. And oh. he says, I saw that image and so I knew what I had to do. So I, I was actually able to subvert this and so I saved Carter. We skipped him. Okay. And so the question is, who's next? Is and it Carter again, or is it following the 
So as they're arguing and screaming at each other, while this train has like just demolished this car, they're screaming next to this train, like, what are we supposed to do? Whatever. A piece of metal from the, the wreck of the car gets picked up by a chain attached to the train, flies across the train tracks, and cuts off Billy's head right above his jaw. So it's not even just a clean decapitation. Oh. His jaw is still attached to his neck. Oh. And his, the top of his head flies off into the bushes. Oh, my so God. So Billy, Billy would have been next, so it just killed Billy. That is a violent death. And it's great because it comes out of absolutely nowhere. You're like, okay, well, there'll be a little bit of time because most of these deaths like have been like a day or two uh, like apart. Nah. Yeah. This thing doesn't get, it's sort of like um, Truth or Dare. We're like, now that we realize, okay, we're getting to the end of the movie, we got to speed it up. But the successful thing is like they realize, okay, they they can skip each other's death. Like they essentially save Carter's life. So it right. is possible to subvert the design right. of the, you know. So Alex realizes, based on where he was on the plane, he's next. So he okay. holds up at Clear's family's cabin. And it's actually a very funny sequence where, like, he's, like, he's put cushions on everything and ducked everything, taped everything closed. Yeah, and that's then, what I would do. Yeah, and he's alone, and, and he, Claire's at her house. And he's, like, you know, at a certain point, like, the wind br- blows over a trash can, which falls against a fishing pole, which makes a door open. And he slams the door shut just in time, and a knife from, like, a tackle box stabs through the door right in front of his face. And he's, Jesus. like, I, oh, you almost got me. Not, like, not so fast, destiny. <laughs> he's, like, I, you know. And so he's there, and he's holed up. But it's, like, how? What, what's the plan? How? How is he going to? Right. This is your whole life? Is that what right, the suggestion Right, you're just going to live like that forever or until yeah. someone else dies. However, while he's there at the cabin, he realizes that his calculation was wrong. He's not next because he was using, he was assuming that he was sitting in Todd's room. Other seating. Yeah. He didn't actually move in real life. He, he stayed at his original seat, so Clear is next. So he starts running to Clear. Oh, okay. Um, and while he's running there, we see... At Clear's house, where again she lives alone because her mother has a, and stepfather have abandoned this poor girl. <laughs> That's the horror movie. There's a lightning strike, and then an electrical power line falls into her yard, and it is essentially whipping like no. a deadly giant electric snake. No, absolutely uh, not. Against her home. And Al, as Alex is running through the woods to her, he trips over a rock, a tree falls on him, and then he is essentially drowning in a puddle. And so, Allison, we've reached the point in the episode, I have to ask you, who will survive? Who will survive? I mean, and I have no knowledge of who is in the sequels, so that doesn't shade any of this for me. Um, I think moving on that Clear and Alex definitely survive. Mm -hmm. Who's left? Carter? Carter. And he's the death who we skipped? Yes. I have a feeling we come back to him. So he's okay. going to die. So Alex and Clear survive and no one else. Great guesses. Luckily, Alex is able to get off from underneath the tree and, and keep running to Claire's, Claire's house. Meanwhile, the FBI and the police, I oh, guess, right. have decided they have enough to arrest Alex. So they are chasing him down with the idea that he's going to now kill Clear. Like, oh no, he's okay. been causing all these deaths. We have to stop him. He's a serial killer or whatever they right. want to say. Are they like using the same methodology of like, he's killing them in order of the, yes. the seating? Yeah. So they, why they wouldn't just like, then you should have a stakeout at her house. Right. And what? Carter's house. 
Yeah. Why was there not a stakeout at Mrs. Luton's house if you thought he was doing this? Right. Or did they not realize it until recently? I don't know. I'm very confused about the police and the FBI's role in, like, what this all is. (laughs) Yeah, they're not doing a lot. And to be fair, I guess that it's, like, they can't necessarily assume it's some sort of supernatural, like, Yeah, I guess that's not part of their training. Yeah, maybe it should be. It's like, it's like, training for the FBI. It's like, also, some people die from fate. (laughs) And and we can't intervene. I guess, yeah, it's like, a, what is that, like, a, um, like insurance, like an act of God? Like, something yeah. that you just can't, like, an oh, earthquake yeah, 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 or something? Yeah. Yes. Um, so, by the time Alex gets there, like, uh, essentially, there's, again, the Rube Goldberg of Claire's, Claire's death. The above-ground pool is ripped open, so the lawn is covered in water, oh, which is now electrified right. from this thing. The power surge goes up through her house. So her house essentially like is on fire now. Perfect. So she runs out to her car in the garage. She tries to back out of the garage. The door opener mechanism falls, trapping her inside the garage and also knocking over a bunch of turpentine. So there's now flammable liquids. All this around This poor her. girl. She's right. in a car. Yeah. And so Alex runs up just in time and she cannot get out of the car. It seems like all hope is lost. So Alex says, I'm going to kill myself because I think it will cause a force skip. Again, I don't know how we know this. You don't know that. Also, did he have any visions about her death or is this just straight like she's next? I mean, based on the fact, no, it basically is like he realized that she's next because um, of the seating. But it's not like he's seen anything to indicate like what's happening to her. No, I think they kind of let that go by the wayside because they're like, we just got to wrap this up. We just got to get this, yeah. And at a certain point, he's fighting the electrical, like, power line, which, again, is whipping around like a cobra with a shovel. So I'm like, even if what? he saw but- that division, it's like, he's a teenage boy. What is he supposed to do? Right. Also, that seems like the wrong answer. It's metal. Like, it conducts electricity. So he tells her, I'm going to kill myself. You're safe in the car because, like, the tires ground it. He electrocutes himself, and it causes an explosion that throws both him and Clear free from the car. Six months later... Whoa, okay. Clear, Carter, and Alex arrive in Paris. <gasps> and they're finally going on the trip that they didn't get to go on. It's a dark trip. And as they go, and both, Al- both Clear and Alex are now blonde, which I'm assuming is like they must have done reshoots or changed the ending. They def- yeah, they, yeah. Which is kind of funny. Yeah, something and, and so they go there, and they're sort of, you know, like, wow, I— I can't believe, like, our classmates couldn't make this trip, but we're, we're taking this trip in their honor. And I guess they're, like, eight, like, now they're seniors or something. Yeah. And it's, like, you know, I, it's just so beautiful that we get to have this moment. And also, while they're sitting there, you hear a street busker starts to play, starts to play John Dever's Rocky Mountain High, which we heard at the beginning. Also, that sounds, like, strange to hear in Paris. Right. And I guess it's in French, so you wouldn't necessarily recognize it right but away. the tune is the tune, yeah. And so as they're sitting there, Alex says, which is the end of every great horror movie, he says, there's just one thing I can't figure out. I love when there's one thing you can't figure out at the end of a horror movie. That's what I love. And he's like, basically, how did I live if nobody intervened? Like, I I intervened in Clear's death, Uh but I survived. So how did I live? And I would argue that he intervened in his own death and maybe like the universe, or like he, maybe the universe is like, uh, rewarding him for selflessly trying to save yeah, her. Yeah, right. If fate exists, then why can't it be sometimes benevolent? But of course, as soon as he says that out loud, he suddenly looks around and there's like, uh, you know, a, a pipe rolling off a construction site and somebody's lighting an outdoor lantern and there's like flames and he uh-huh. knocks over Claire's drink, Claire's drink and her wine pools on 
his seat on the uh, map because he, he took out the diagram of the plane. Oh, sure. And he's like, I'm going back to the hotel. You guys stay here. Don't be around me right now because he's now like, shit, I'm about to die and I have to figure out what to do. Uh-huh. And as he's standing there, Claire looks and sees the reflection of a bus. And she's like, oh, shit, I'm getting your premonition. She turns to yell at Alex. It's an actual bus that he was about to step out in front of. And she screams and he stops. Unfortunately, while he was not hit by the bus, the bus then goes up onto the sidewalk, hitting like a fruit stand, knocks a street sign off, and then flips it up, ripping a lighted, almost like Broadway-style marquee off a building. What? Which then swings down towards Alex, who is paralyzed with fear, and Carter saves him just in the nick of time. What? And pushes him to the ground. <laughs> and Carter's like, what the, it basically like, what the hell just happened? And Alex's like, you just skipped me. You just per- subverted my death. I was supposed to die. And Carter says, so who died? who's supposed to be next? And as he said, we see the Marquis swing back, and is it cuts away, but is about to slam into Carter and kill him. So I guess we're supposed to think this okay. will never end. Until they're all dead from, like, bizarre, circumstantial, violent deaths? Yeah. Like, no one just gets sick. Roll roll credits, baby. (laughs) So, Allison, let me know what you think are some fatal mistakes that our characters made in Final Destination. Fatal mistakes. I mean, I'm going to go backwards here, but starting from the end, taking that trip to Paris. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like they weren't supposed to. <laughs> like, And Claire does suggest that. It's like, if there is a design, because, you know, Alex is like, why did we survive? And she's like, if we right. survived, it was because that was the design. So it's like, whatever happens, we right. retroactively can assume that was the design. Right, that you weren't supposed to get, like, yeah. I mean, it seems like once things kind of got going also, when you started seeing that people were having these, like, violent deaths in this order. Like, again, like, why weren't people, like, taking more precaution with their... Ho- like, why was Clear's house so, like, ready for danger? Like, I, I would have... But I guess it's like, it's like, what, was she not going to have the electric... Like, the yeah. electrical lines are out of her control. Like, the garage thing, she couldn't have controlled. I guess, like, yeah. Was she not going to have an above-ground pool? Like, what kind right. of life it's is like, that? Right, she lives alone. She has to have one. <laughs> She has no parents. And I think that is the supposition of the movie is that like, no matter, you could wall yourself up in the cabin. Again, sort of like Truth or Dare. Please listen to our Truth or Dare episode. It's also very yes. fun. But it's like, you can be alone. You could be anywhere. Unfortunately, this thing, this force can reach you wherever you are. Yes. Yeah. So it seems like there actually are no mistakes because there's no way to have avoided all of these things. Because death has a design and it, it will come for us all, which wow, is true. A- terrifying uh, theme for a movie. <laughs> Which brings us to our next segment, uh, one segment I've titled Connect the Dots of Death or Rube Goldberg's Revenge. So Alice and I are going to give each other a very banal, everyday scenario, and then we're going to figure out what is the Rube Goldberg insano death that we think would lead from that. Allison, I'm going to give you yours first. I'm okay. just saying, open your mind to the universe. You are buying a cold brew coffee. <gasps> How do you die? I mean, I would. I I am at a coffee shop. Absolutely, I yes. So a lot of people. People are having fun, laughing. I would, you know. like one way I would imagine is I am obviously paying with a card. Yes. Uh, Ooh, okay. And I am using kind of the iPad electronic system. Absolutely love it. And yes. While I'm fishing around in my purse for my 
phone to be on my phone while I'm paying, because I would always do that. Of course. Um, I knock over my coffee that does not yet have a lid on it because mm-hmm. the pe- the barista... See, but like then this is wrong because I drink it black, so they would have put the top on already, but... Maybe they, maybe they ran out of tops and somebody had to go into the back. It was just like right. that day happened yes. to have no tops. Yes. There's no tops, so it's a, it's a ready-for-disaster uh, plastic cup. I knock it over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It soaks the counter, Absolutely. including the iPad, mm-hmm. which I'm connecting, that I'm touching my metal card mm-hmm. um, into, and it uh, it electrocutes me. I love that. That was perfect. Thank you. Uh, incredible. I, love, yeah. um, I have one for you. Uh, Lay down me. Pouring a glass of wine. Ooh, okay. Let's see. There's just a lot of directions this one could go, so I'm excited to see kind of where you take it. All right, I'm pouring a glass of wine. Now, is it a good wine or like a grocery store wine? Because I will buy both. Uh, Let's say it's a good wine. Okay. For fun. All right, so I'm pouring a glass of good wine. And because it's an organic wine, it has like those uh, wine, like the sediment. Sediment. Don't they call them like wine jewels or something disgusting where it's like, it's just little pieces of rock. It's gross. Yeah, like it's not classy or whatever. Right. And I get those, I I, I get some in my mouth and I I walk over to the sink and I I spit it out. And I, I realize, oh... I haven't run my um, uh, garbage disposal in a while. But I look, and I realize that as I was bending over to spit out the the wine sediment, one of my earrings has fallen inside. Oh, Hallie. And it's a good, I assume it's a good earring. You're drinking good wine. It's a nice earring. It's my only pair. You know me. I have one pair of nice earrings, and I do not take them off. (laughs) I I swim in them. I sleep in them. I shower them because I will lose them. And I'm like, oh, I can't lose this, you know. And so I also, the lights are off because I'm drinking in um, the dark. And I am reaching in to the trash uh, compactor. And Dave, my boyfriend, boyfriend of the pod, doesn't realize because the lights are off. I'm drinking in the kitchen. He turns uh, alone on. Alone in the dark. He turns <laughs> out, you know, I, he probably should have known. He turns on the, the, the disposal and it, it shreds my hand. And when I'm t- he takes me to the hospital, I get COVID in the hospital and die. Oh, I like that it all ended with COVID. That's yeah. fun. Well, realistically, I'm like... Unrealistic. I was like, if either one of us had to go to the hospital, I mean, now I, we can't go, really, you know. Right, yeah. Actually, like, it's that you can't go to the hospital in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. Um, and then, of course, finally, we take us to the spooky scale, which I, I've been dusting and polishing its many arcane yeah. knobs and, and, um, and slots. And on a scale of 1 to 10 screams, Allison, where would you rate Final Destination on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. I think I want to give this like a like a four and a half. Okay, great. Because it is fun. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of fun to this movie, which I think always kind of brings this uh, metric down quite a bit. And a lot of the deaths are so convoluted that mm-hmm. you're like, wow, un- that's it's pretty unreal. Even though they're very realistic deaths, slipping on things, right? Fires starting. Like the the course of events that have to take place in order for these to happen are pretty unrealistic. Yes, but yeah, but I think like it's not like you know the the gloom and doom of like some other movies that we've done. So I, th- I think a four and a half, uh, maybe a five. I'll yeah. give it a five. I'm going to say three. Um, as we always say, the spooky scale is a uh, scale of how scary something is, not how much we enjoyed it. I love this. I haven't watched yeah. this in decades, so it was really fun. But yeah, I don't find it scary just because the deaths are the Rube Goldberg. Realistically, if you're going to die, it's going to be pretty simple. It's going to be one of three things. And um, yeah, but we really enjoyed this. Hope you enjoyed it too. 
Um, thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, if you have a moment, please rate and review the podcast. Yes, we appreciate please. it. And it affects the algorithm in some positive way, or so we've been yes, told. The, the, the Rube Goldberg of, of popularity is somehow the algorithm correcting after you uh, give us a good rating and a review. And also, if you have movie requests, questions, complaints, actually compliments, not complaints. Yeah, 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 that's the word. Uh, we don't want complaints. I hope there aren't any. Um, you know, movies you want us to do, things we've missed, like out, you know, outstanding questions. Like, please email us at ruined at the radiopoint.com. And until then, please. Always. We ask of you, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Bye. Bye. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. 